0: My wife recently got a a message from a mutual friend that she received that made us both chuckle. This message read, what I love about myself is that I work hard to gain humility. Now, while we both chuckled as she shared this message, we recognize the source and, and this friend who is autistic, for him, we recognize that's a big achievement as he's striving to adjust and figure out social practices and emotions and things like that. So it was something to be celebrated on his part, and yet we chuckle at it because we also realize the irony in that statement. And it's humorous because it also has a bit of truth to it, doesn't it? Humility is one of these difficult habits of his grace for us to pursue because even the very definition of it, striving for it, and then sharing others with others the success that we may have had goes against what humility is. And for that reason, this isn't the first message you'll ever hear on humility, and it certainly won't be the last either, because this is an ongoing progress process as we work to strive for more humility in our lives. To demonstrate the unique challenge that, that humility is or poses, How would you rate yourself over the last year or two in growing, in being more humble? On a scale of 1 to 10, would you rate yourself somewhere in the middle or would you give yourself a high mark? Do you realize the challenge of rating yourself? Because in theory, if you want to kind of get into a meta question, isn't rating yourself as doing considerably well or making great achievements or strives and success, doesn't that betray humility? Because wouldn't we expect a humble person to consistently rate or rank him or self very low in terms of being humble? And to go a step further, if you thought to yourself, oh no, I, I wouldn't, I, I'm like that, I wouldn't rate myself very high, I'd rate myself low, well, why is that what comes to mind? Is it because internally you think you deserve some sort of recognition for rating yourself so low? And, and that's just the struggle that humility is. It's why it's such a challenge. It's why it's so rare. The reason we struggle with, with this habit of his grace, humility, is, is captured and has been repeated by, by others, but, but I think very well captured by, by C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis said that, that humility isn't thinking less of yourself, but rather thinking of yourself less. And that shows the problem, doesn't it? Because it is not easy and it is not natural. It is not our default mode to think less of ourselves or to think of ourselves less and put others first. You don't wake up in the morning saying, who do I get to serve today? You aren't naturally bent toward toward perceiving the news events or the things that happen over the course of the day as how they affect everybody else so much as how they affect and impact you. Ever since the fall into sin, our mode has been self-preservation. We are looking out for number one, so it just isn't natural for us to submit, to put ourselves beneath others in humility. And so we're grateful as we begin another Holy Week that we see a picture of humility as it rides into Jerusalem. We see the picture-perfect example of humility in our Savior, Jesus. We're told that he rode into Jerusalem on a colt, on a donkey. That itself is a picture of humility. Compare, for example, a donkey to, to something like a horse. You've seen enough movies, read books, and and you know that that horses can be rather stubborn. They can be rather prideful. If, If a horse doesn't want to be ridden, that rider is not going to have an easy time getting up on him. A donkey, on the other hand, just does what it's told. It can be loaded down with weight, it can bear a burden, it can do hard labor and work, and it does so without much kickback. How different. The horse and, and the donkey are in. And as a side note, uh, sometime this week, look at a picture of the back of a donkey. There's a legend that says if you look at a picture, and I've never noticed this until uh, until this week, you see the mane on a donkey, if you can call it that, in the shape of a cross. And the legend has it that because the donkey was privileged to bear the burden of Jesus. Carrying Jesus into Jerusalem to die, that was his mark. But a donkey is a humble animal any way you look at it. Little girls don't, don't grow up saying, I, I want a, ho- a donkey someday, but, but a horse. Nobody says, I'm going to, to get out of the busy city and, and go retire somewhere in the, the country and have a farm and raise donkeys. A donkey is not a symbol of greatness, but a symbol of humility. Maybe you had a a similar thought as you hear the gospel and you consider the the Palm Sunday account, a similar thought to one that entered my mind this past week. This was really a picture of humility. Then why did Jesus have to ride in a donkey in the first place? Is that actually the most humble thing he could have done? Why not just of sneak into Jerusalem? Why not walk in through the side door? Why not come in another way that, that didn't draw any attention or fanfare to him? Is it really all that humble that Jesus wrote anything into Jerusalem when he could have taken other measures to not draw so much attention to him? But that method of Jesus entering into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey has less to do with Jesus' lack of humility or some overt attempt to on his part to draw attention to himself and much more to do with the fulfillment of scripture. Jesus rode into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday on a donkey because God's inspired word foretold that that was how he was going to ride into Jerusalem. You heard it in the first lesson today, a prophecy that pointed out how Jesus would enter into Jerusalem from Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. "'Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion, Shout, daughter of Jerusalem, see your king comes to you righteous and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. God's word had to be fulfilled. Jesus rode in on a donkey because that was how God's word foretold the savior, the Messiah, the chosen one would come into Jerusalem. And not only that, but Zechariah also prophesied the rejoicing that would happen. And we see that on Palm Sunday as the crowds are shouting and welcoming Jesus amidst much fanfare. Where do they come from? In those days, there was no social media campaign. They didn't receive a text message. There weren't billboards around Jerusalem that said on this date, at this time, Jesus would be riding into Jerusalem to to suffer and to die. So make sure that you welcome him with a parade. There was none of that. And yet here are all of these crowds seemingly out of nowhere. Is there any wonder that God's divine hand played a part in that? Again, to fulfill scripture, not only as Zechariah foreshadowed that there would be rejoicing as Jesus came into Jerusalem, but you also note the words that Mark recorded for us in the gospel that were spoken in Mark chapter uh, chapter 11, verses 9 and 10. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Any coincidence that those Those words, those cheers, those shouts of proclamation by the parade of people resemble Psalm 118. Ah, there it is again. God's divine hand playing a part in setting apart this event as a milestone in Jesus' ministry. So Jesus could still retain his humility while at the same time fulfilling scripture. So the crowds cheered and Jesus rode in on a humble donkey and we see a humility that we don't see elsewhere in this world. It is somewhat ironic that it attracts us to Jesus, how humble he is in his ministry. This isn't about being famous for the sake of famous, but when crowds came to Jesus, when he preached, when he taught, when he entered into Jerusalem, it was for a very specific purpose to achieve something, to proclaim something, to declare something, not just fame for the sake of fame. And here is the irony in Jesus, it's his humility that we find so attractive and compelling because we don't see it anywhere else in our world. Not a humility like our Savior's. What is it that makes Jesus' humility so remarkable? Well, there's really two things. One is we consider who he is. And don't you just love how Paul described that in our second lesson today from Philippians? When we consider who Jesus is, that makes it all the more mar- remarkable what he did. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 6, Paul wrote about Jesus who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. This was the, the son of God This was Jesus, eternal Jesus. Answers to no one, Jesus. Jesus, who made himself nothing. God in the flesh, humbling himself. Aren't those acts of humility always more remarkable? When we see those people in prominent and high places humble themselves, those are the examples that stand out Before us, when we see people that we look up to and we honor and respect, when we see very strong leaders, when they demonstrate humility, that's when it grabs our attention. How much more so than when it comes to Jesus, God in the flesh, Jesus. So his humility is remarkable because of who he is. The second reason it's so remarkable is because of who we are. That, that a person would humble himself for, for a great person is one thing. For a person to humble himself below somebody that they might consider beneath them is an entirely thing different thing altogether. If you were to turn the tables, which would you find it easier to do? To humble yourself beneath a king, beneath a president, beneath some brilliant, scholar or academic or professor or to humble yourself beneath the garbage collector or the barista who messed up your order or the customer service rep on the other end that is infuriating see it's one thing for us to humble ourselves beneath those that that we believe to be above us that we look up to but it's something different to humble oneself beneath somebody that we think more highly of ourselves, somebody that, that we don't see as up to our, our standard or up to par. And that's why Jesus' humility is so remarkable because of who you are. You, who thinks so highly of yourself far too often. You, who thinks so little of Jesus far too often. You who so regularly stumble back into sin effortlessly. You who don't take seriously or put much effort into growing in your life of sanctification or or imparting these habits of his grace into your life. For you and me, Jesus made himself nothing. You and me who are nothing apart from the one who is everything. And yet he made himself nothing for us. Do you grasp the degree of that humility that our Savior demonstrated, that he displayed for you and for me? The God of the heavens and the earth placed himself beneath you and me who are nothing apart from him. And he did that so that we could have everything. He made himself nothing so that in humility, he could ride into Jerusalem. So that on Monday Thursday, he could in humility serve his disciples. So that on Good Friday, he could in humility suffer scorn and shame. And on Good Friday, ultimately suffer death by crucifixion, as Paul points out. The Jesus who, who made himself nothing Taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. The Jesus who humbly rode into Jerusalem to die and be damned for you. Dear friends, the Jesus who is everything made himself nothing, so that you who are nothing could have everything. Do you realize what you have in Jesus? You have everything because he made himself nothing. You have forgiveness without limit. You have peace with God. You have an eternal relationship with him that nobody can ever take away from you. And you compare everything that that you have because of Jesus and his humility What does this world offer that can even compare to that? Let the stuff of this world that we are so attracted to, let it be done. Let go of it. It is nothing but temporal fleeting satisfaction. But what we have in Jesus is is truly everything because of his humility. Now, as Paul encouraged us in his second letter then, Let us pursue this habit of his grace. Let's heed Paul's encouragement in verse five of Philippians chapter two. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. The Christ Jesus, the God in the flesh Jesus who humbled himself for you. Have an attitude like his. Be like Jesus who who in perfect humility served you first. Let others first in line. You don't have to have the last word in that disagreement with your spouse. Let others go first. Let that driver in in front of you. You don't have to boast and brag about your achievements or how much you have accomplished or what you were in the past or what you've done. Make your life about serving others and putting yourself beneath others, and find a true joy that comes from doing so, a true joy attached to that kind of humility that can only come from knowing this, Christ Jesus, who is everything, made himself nothing. For you, who apart from him are nothing but through him and because of him, have everything. May we strive to make that habit of his grace, humility, more a part of our lives as we seek to imitate our Savior. Amen.